Luke chapter 14. If you haven't licked your wounds yet, we're going to just pour salt in them. To the end of, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not going to do that at all. I just want to finish, though, the thought that we started today. We started in verse 15. We'll now go down and start reading in verse 25 because this is a continuation of, of this morning's message in a way. This is continuing the, the conversation that the Lord is, uh, is has picking up here with a couple of different parables. Um, even after uh, today, even thinking about it a little bit more, I'm, I'm still glad I'm invited. <laughs> I'm glad I'm one of those people he invited to come. And thank God I'm glad I'm going. I'm going. I'm ready should he come. I hope you're ready tonight. That's, that's the main reason why we do what we do. Make sure you're ready and prepared. The invitation's already went out. He said he's coming. The feast is getting ready. And uh, in fact, it's probably close to being ready. I don't know if you know what's going on around our world. And I don't know if you pay attention or not. But it doesn't take a great theologian to understand. It's, there's a great event about ready to take place. And it's not going to be a Chinese balloon. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we're on the brink of another uh, war. We're on the brink of uh, just chaos and destruction. And it's setting it up for Jesus Christ to come. I'm telling you, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Again, Luke 14, we'll begin reading in verse 25. And, and as, as we see so often throughout Jesus' ministry, the more he teaches, the more he heals, the more people he attracts. And that's what's happened here in verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth down first and consulteth whether he be, with, be able with 10,000 to meet with him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Again, so Jesus has attracted a great multitude of people. And so almost seemingly he's, if we can get the picture, he turns around to all these people following him and he says, okay, I'm going to weed some of these out. <laughs> I'm going to weed some of these people to see exactly why they're following me. Cause some people followed him just because they thought he was a, like a, when he's going to perform another magic trick. Some of them followed just because of their own self-gain. What can he do for me? And then there were this select few that really wanted to follow him and be his disciple. 
And so he gave them these conditions. And I want you to notice what he said. These are pretty strong and heavy words that he gives to this crowd of people. Again, remember, he's just come out of this parable that we taught you this morning. Everyone's invited to come. You all can be a part of the feast. You can all be a part of this family. But if you want to stay with me, if you want to follow after me, there's some conditions that you're going to have to meet. And they're still true today. So he's, again, he's, this great crowd is, is following him. And he tells them this. First of all, you got to hate your family. And you got to hate your own life. And you got to pick up your cross. Boy, isn't that an attractive advertisement? <laughs> hey, if you want to follow me, you got to hate your family. You got to hate yourself. And you got to take a cross and follow me. But, but if we really get to what he is saying, he's really saying in order to follow me, in order to be my disciple, it's, it breaks down into two categories. There's, there's, there's this issue of hating your family and there's the issue of bearing your cross. Now let's deal with that hating your family because that's a strong word. And sometimes if we don't watch, we can take things out of context and what we can, what we can say is, because God's not, he's not contradictory to his word. He will not contradict his own word. We know God is love. So hate is a strong word. So what is God trying to teach? What is Jesus trying to teach us here? We can take this out of context. And we can, if we take it out of context by itself, we can sometimes say we can be a good Christian and be a bad family member. But that's contradictory to God's word. You cannot. It's impossible. For you to be a good Christian and to hate someone in your own family. That's contradictory to God's word. Boy, this is, it's already starting great, isn't it? But if you are a good Christian and you are a child of God, you will automatically be a good family member. You will be a great spouse. You'll be a great parent. You'll be a great sibling. You'll be a great in-law and an outlaw. If you're a good Christian, you're going to be a good family member. I'll move on because you're really liking that. So, so if he's saying hate, though, what does he mean by hate? If you look the word up, what it literally means is to love less. So what God was actually saying, what Jesus was actually saying is, don't hate your family. I'm not telling you that. But what I'm telling you is, you can love your family, but you can't love them more than me. That's what he was telling them. He was telling them you can love your you can love your spouse, and you should. You need to love your kids, and you should. You need to love your family members. You absolutely should. But they should never be preeminent over the Lord Jesus Christ. God should always have first place in your life. And I guarantee this: if He does have first place in your life, you'll have no problem loving your family. Amen, that's good preaching. Because if you love God as he loved the church, you'll love your spouse. And if you love God as he loved the church, you'll love your children. Now they may aggravate you throughout right up here where you might say these words, I have had just about enough. I'm not saying those times won't happen. But what I'm saying is at the end of the day, you still love them. You want to wring their necks, but you still love them. <laughs> he's saying don't hate them 
Don't loathe them. Don't disregard them. No, love them, but don't love them over me. I take first place. It all goes back to the commandments. The very first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I've seen it happen before. People put their family above God, and it ruins their relationship with Christ. So he said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to love me more than you love your family. And then he says, you got to take up your cross. If you don't bear your cross, you cannot come after me and be my disciple. What was he saying by that? We'll break this down a little bit more here in a little bit. But really what he was saying was, at any moment, at any time, you will be called upon to make sacrifices for the good of somebody else. That's what he was saying. To bear your cross means at some point in time, you will be called upon to make a sacrifice for the good of somebody else. Isn't that not what Christ did for us? <laughs> he paid the ultimate sacrifice and he bore his cross just for me and just for you. That's so humbling to think. And so if he, was, if he did that on the cross of Calvary and he's asking us to do the same, it doesn't mean that we lay down our life like he did on the cross of Calvary. No, what that means is figuratively, it means there will come a time when we are gonna have to make sacrifices for the good of others. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he would not do himself because he did. He left his father and he left the glories of heaven just for us. Greg sang about it tonight. And if he can do what he did for us, surely all he's asking us is to put him first in our life. Surely we can do that. We can be his disciple. So cross-bearing means simply this, that you've died to selfishness and you have wakened to selflessness. You have died to selfishness and you've awakened to selflessness. The picture of the cross is to get rid of selfishness and to embrace selflessness. Because what that means is when you are bearing your cross, you're putting somebody else's, somebody else's thoughts, somebody else's feelings, somebody else's needs over your own. Amen. And he says that, when you do that, you can be my disciple. These things about being a disciple, number one, we just covered it, to carry the cross. That's the first point in order to be his disciple and to follow him, you've got to carry your cross. Number two, you've got to count the cost. You've got to count the cost. I love, and, and I'm, I'm sure over the years, probably those that have been in church for any length of time have probably heard this, this, these verses taken out of context in order to run building programs at their church. Because they, you say, hey, if you hadn't, you know, if you don't intend to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost. You know, basically saying, you know, if we're gonna build this church, we better have enough money to do it. You know, they're kind of taking this verse out of context. This verse has nothing to do with building a church. It has everything to do with following Christ. And let's break it down a little bit further, we'll understand. What is he saying is, surely if someone is gonna build a tower, they're gonna figure out how much it is not to start the project, but how much it's gonna to cost to finish the project. You don't dare go into a building program and not figure out how much it's gonna to cost to have the building completed. 
Now, there may be things come. There may be change orders that come along the way. But you're going to have enough set aside in order to finish the project. Is there, is there nothing more sad than to see someone start a huge building project and then it's shut down right in the middle of it. You've got an empty building. You've got an em- empty walls with nothing going on. Why? Because they didn't count the cost. What is Jesus trying to tell us? When you start this thing, you've got to commit to finish it. Following Christ is, is not only carrying your cross, but it's counting the cost. It is saying, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm committing everything I have to follow Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm telling you, if we ever need that priest today, we need it in this day in which we're living. We need a good old-fashioned revival of commitment to God and commitment to his house. Amen. Discipleship is all about commitment. And you will never get all out of something if you only put half in it. You cannot be a half Christian and expect the full benefits of God. When it comes to following Christ, it's either all in or it's nothing. And we have a lot of people that just want to be a half Christian. They want to serve God when it's convenient for them. They don't want to, they, the word commitment don't even come into their vocabulary. I'm preaching. And I know you're here. And I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to the ones that should be here, right? But just a reminder, when you're serving God, it's 100%. It's all in. It's commitment to him. Discipleship is all about maximizing your walk with Christ. And listen, Jesus didn't lie to us. He did not lead us into something that falsely, no, he told us right at the very beginning, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna have times of challenging time. But listen, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He didn't say we wouldn't cry, but he said, thank God joy's gonna come in the morning. He did not say we wouldn't have sickness, but he also said, thank God, I'm the, healer. I am the great physician. Hallelujah. He promised us that he would be with us all the way. He didn't say we wouldn't face challenges. All he asked us is to be committed. Committed to what he has asked us to do. You got to count the cost. My, uh, and I, I don't say this to being bragging, so please don't take it that way. I'm just pointing out an example. Over this last year, my son, he decided that he was going, we were going to try our best to find a way for him to get his college paid for and maybe be able to play football at the next level. So we did all we had to do and did what we could. And God blessed him to receive a few offers from colleges. And so those are all well and good and, and it's exciting to get those, but they mean nothing. Offers mean nothing. The only offer that mattered is the one that he received from one college and that was good and all, but it wasn't good, it was just words. It ain't gonna come to pass until he signed on the dotted line. That was called a commitment letter. You know what that said? That said everybody else that was going after him, you can't talk to him now because he's committed. He's not going back, his name's on the dotted line, he's committed to go. 
if you, if you go in the military, once you sign your name on the dotted line and you're committed to that military branch, they own you. They have you. You are not getting out of it without a fight and without something negative happening for the rest of your life. But listen tonight, folks, when it comes to serving God, that you can have as many offers, you can have all these things on your plate, but the only thing that matters is if you sign on the dotted line and say, I'm going to be committed to what Christ wants me to do. It's the only thing that matters. Counting the cost, carrying the cross. And then finally, notice this in verse 32. 31, actually. He, he gives this he gives this about counting the cost and about the foundation, about building this, this uh, tower. But then he goes on in verse 31, it says, or what, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Now, this, this just doesn't seem to fit with what he's, everything else he's trying to say. So what's Jesus trying to point out to us? What's he trying to say? He's saying if a king is about ready to go into a war, into a fight, he'll sit down and he'll understand there's more against us than there is with us. We are outnumbered two to one. Do I go into this fight or do I not? He felt it best in the next verse to go and send some ambassadors and try to work out a treaty of peace. You know what he was saying? He's saying, I'm looking at the odds and the odds are against me. I'm gonna be willing to surrender in order to have peace. This king said, I'm willing to surrender in order to have peace. What's Christ trying to tell us? It, to be his disciple, not only do we have to carry the cross and count the cost, but we have to concede to his control. In order to be a disciple, it's not about winning. It's about losing. You say, Brian, it is? Yeah, it's about surrendering your life to him. Because the W on the column doesn't matter to God. He wants to see you lose your life. Because the Bible says, if you lose your life, you're going to save it. I don't understand it. That's what happens. We get higher by going down. We multiply by subtracting. I don't know how God does it. I don't know how, why he does it the way he does. But all I know is this. He wants full control of your life. And the only way to get full control, the only way to follow him and be, your, be his disciple is to surrender completely to his control. And if you want to surrender, we can't find a greater example than Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God all night long. And he lost that wrestling match. But when he got up from it, he saw God in a way he'd never seen him before. And you know what? From that time forward, he was impacted so much by God that there wasn't one person that looked at him that didn't see the influence that God had on his life. Because he walked around with a limp. He walked around with a different name. 
There was a different walk. He walked a different way. He had a different name. Why? Because he lost the battle with God Almighty and he finally surrendered to what God wanted him to be. I'm telling you what, friends, I know this may be a little bit different message, but I just want to tell you this. There's nothing wrong with losing when it comes to giving our life to Jesus Christ. Thank God you'll be the victor. You'll be victorious when we understand. Hallelujah, when we're giving it into his control. Thank God he will do things with us we never thought imaginable. So this series of parables that we had today, it all focuses on discipleship. If you want to be my disciple, you got to carry your cross. You got to count the cost and you got to concede to his control. If you do those things, I promise you, our life may not be without difficulty, but it'll be victorious. Amen. Don't you want victory? Don't you want peace? Don't you want to lay down your head at night knowing that he has control of your life? No greater feeling in all the world.